Bibles this morning and turn to Galatians chapter number 5. Galatians chapter number 5. Great music this morning. A great time celebrating our holy, holy God. And uh, we've been talking about the last several weeks about the, cross, uh, the purpose of Crossroads Baptist Church. Why we exist as believers. Uh, we then began talking about our primary reason that God has placed us here on planet earth. And that is to exalt the Savior. We talked several weeks ago about 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. And we asked the question, are our lives bringing glory to God the way that we're living them right now? And then we saw that after we glorify and exalt the Savior, we are to then engage the sinner. We are to take the story of hope that God has placed in our lives, our story, not uh, the story about us, but what God God has done in our lives, and we're now compelled to share that with others who don't have that hope, who don't have that story of redemption in their lives. We looked at John chapter 12 and verse 32, and how Jesus said, If I, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. And if we exalt or we lift up Jesus, people will see him instead of us. And then we talked a couple weeks ago about uh, we're to edify or encourage, lift up the saints from 1 Thessalonians chapter number 5 and verse number 11 where it says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another. Edify, encouraging, and our role is to encourage and build up other believers, other believers in, uh, in the uh, church and other believers around us. But are we just to encourage each other and that all, be all that there is? Are we just simply to encourage one another week after week, day by day, year after year, and then that's all there is? If we simply will just do that, if that's all we ever do, we just encourage one another, we're going to make the focus about us rather than others. If we're all about let's just come in here and be encouraged and strengthened and that's all that there is, then we make this thing, this, this organism, the church, about us rather than others. If we make it about us, we're not fulfilling His purpose. We're not building His kingdom. We're focusing on our kingdom. So what do we have to do? Uh, what do we have to do? A church that's not enlisting other people will eventually rot because service breeds humility. Service breeds Humility. And see, I'm not just supposed to encourage others. I'm supposed to be challenging others to get involved in what God's doing. And how many of you have heard the statement, uh, God, maybe someone would pray and say, man, we need to pray that God will bless what we're doing. And that sounds good, but that is a faulty statement. We should not be praying that God will bless what we're doing. We should be involved in what He is doing. And we should ask that God would allow us to take part in what He is doing. Because remember, this is His work, not our work. And this is His church. It's His kingdom, not ours. We're not building our legacy. We're not building our namesake, our responsibility. Our job in His kingdom is to exalt the Savior. It's to make this about Him, not about us. It's to encourage one another, pointing people to the answer, but then lastly, to enlist the servant. To enlist other people that they may serve alongside us in what he is doing. Mark chapter number 10 and verse 45 said, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister 
and to give his life a ransom for many. So how do we do that? Galatians chapter 5 this morning, just three verses for our text today. But Galatians chapter 5, let's begin reading in verse number 13. The Bible says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but here it is, but by love serve one another. We saw a couple weeks ago we're to edify, but here we're supposed to serve one another. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. If ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another. Now let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time today. Father, we thank you so much for your word. And Lord, thank you for what you have done. Lord, what you are doing. Lord, help us to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, we ask that you please speak to our hearts in this time that we've been given today. And Lord, thank you for the great music and focusing on the holiness of our God. Only a holy God. and Holy, holy, holy. And Lord, worthy is your name. And Lord, you are the ancient of days. And we can thank you for the blood that has been applied into our lives. Lord, but we ask that you please search hearts. And if there is one here today that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they don't have the blood applied to their heart and life, Lord, I ask that you please show them their spiritual need today and help them, Lord, to call out to you for salvation. Lord, help them, Lord, to focus on their need today. Lord, please speak to my heart. Please cleanse me of any sin that's unconfessed and help me to be clean as I speak to your people today, your word and your truths. Lord, we ask that you please give us what we stand in need of today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down number one, the relationship. The relationship. In verse number 13, the the church of Galatia was very unique in the fact that there were people, false teachers, telling the Gentile believers that they had to become proselyte Jews if they were going to be a part of Christ's family. Uh, That meant that they had to live according to Jewish lifestyle and their customs before coming to Christ. In modern terms, we would say they had to do something so that they could be saved. They had to do something other than trusting Christ alone by grace through faith. They had to do something else in order to be saved. And Paul quickly writes this letter to assure them of the importance of by grace through faith alone. And encouraging them, showing them that it's not of the law. It's not the things that we can do. But it's about what he has already done. And the attack against grace could not be dismissed. But Paul spends the majority of the book talking about the difference between the law and grace and he mentions it here in our text we see the bond that is mentioned he says the brethren he talks about the brotherhood what is it that brings them together it's the brotherhood that bond of Christ he said for brethren you've been called unto liberty He talks about that connection, the bond that they had together. See, when we come to church today, it's not the worship style that draws us together. It's not the color of our skin that draws us together. 
It's not the style and the way in which we were raised. It's not the dress that we have. It's not anything that we can superficially manage. It is Christ that brings us together. It's His body. It's not our body. It's His church. It's not ours. And we are united in Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. He uses the phrase 11 times, brethren, brethren, 11 times in this book, signifying that they were all on the same team. But here's the problem. There were some in the church who looked the part, but they weren't a part. There were some who looked like they belonged in the church, but they weren't a part of the church. And it's a great reminder for us today that there can be people who come in every single Sunday morning and sing the songs, and know the verses, and bring their Bible, and go to Sunday school, and be involved, and maybe even serve, maybe even our members, and they're lost. And they're lost. They have convinced themselves that what they have done is good enough, or what they're doing is good enough, or that somehow God will accept them just the way that they are. Can I remind all of us exactly what the Bible says? There is none righteous, no, not one. All of our righteousness are are filthy rags in the sight of God. And Jesus is still the only way to heaven. We will not get to heaven and find other people who got there apart from receiving Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. It will not happen. The Bible is very clear. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and there is no division among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. All on the same page. We would say all on the same team. We're all on the same page. So this morning, are you in the body of Christ? And if you're not, if you're uh, in this service or you're watching online and you're not a part of the body of Christ, what is it that's holding you back from being part of his family? What is it that is holding you back? What is it about being identified with Jesus that you may be against or maybe you're unclear about or maybe you're unsure of? Mark chapter 2 and verse number 17 says, When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call... The righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus came to help those who have a need. See, some people may say, well, you know, Pastor, I, I'm just done with church. I understand what you're doing, and I'm not against it, uh, I'm not, I'm, but don't expect me to support that. Don't expect me to be, I'm not going to go to church because it's all a bunch of hypocrites that go to church. Now, I'm not going to go to church because I know somebody who goes there and I know that they're not consistent. I know that they say that they're a Christian, but I know them, Pastor, and I know they're hypocritical in what they do. Imagine going to the gym and hearing someone say, you know, I'm, going, I'm done with going to the gym because I was in there and I saw some people who were really out of shape. I'm not going to the gym anymore because I saw, and the gym is for fitness. It's about fitness and being healthy. And I went to the gym and I saw, and I'm done. There are a bunch of hypocrites that go to the gym. And I'm not going to the gym because I saw some people out of shape. But if you think about it, isn't that why the gym exists? For those people who are out of shape? Doesn't it exist for people who need help with their health? 
You know, if you think about it, that is why the gym exists, so that they have somewhere to go that can help meet their need that they have. You know, the church is for hypocrites. Not for them to stay the way that they are, but to give them some truth to where they see they need a change. That is what the church is for. If you've been to the gym, you notice there are some people who are there who are out of shape, but you'll also notice something else. There are some people who are there who are in really good shape. Who you can tell they spend a lot of time at the gym. They are very healthy. They are very fit. And it's the exact same thing about the church. You can tell there are some people there who, man, they are super healthy. They walk with the Lord. You can tell everything about them. Christianity oozes out of them. You know that that person walks with God and they're spiritually healthy. And there are also some people who come to church every single week who are not in shape, who are not healthy. And we want both crowds to be here. Both. Because where else are people going to find hope if not in God's house? Remember, he didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. He didn't come for the righteous. He came for those who said that I have a need and I'm going to go to a place where I know and thank God that we have people in our community who know that they can come here and people will not shun them or ignore them or look down on them for where they're from or what they've done or what color they are or where they've been. There's a place in Fishersville that loves them the way that Jesus loves them because this is a place for hope. It's a place where people can come and see Hey, I want a piece of that. I don't know what's wrong with those people. Or what's right with those people. But I know that there's something different about those people. That is what Jesus does in our life. He makes us different. And some people would say weird. The Bible says peculiar. But all changed. See, it starts with knowing that you're in the body. You're a part of the brethren, the bond that's mentioned. But not only the bond, we see the barrier that's mentioned. It says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. What have we been called to? The word liberty here means freedom. I've been set free from the past. The people Paul is writing to here grew up in a system that gave them a bunch of rules to follow. So that God would somehow accept them. And if I'll do all these things that God will magically love me and he will righteously accept who I am and what I've done. Can I tell you that that is not the God of the Bible? That's not the God of the Bible. Because God loves you no matter what you ever do. You know how I know that? Because the Bible says that. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. Now let me ask you, was the world righteous at that point? Absolutely not. Was it all pastor? Man, have you seen the news? Have you seen all the bad stuff that's going on in the world? It's always been like this. Since the fall of mankind. Since sin entered into the picture, it's been like this. We're just more aware of it today than we ever have been. We've got these things that where it pops up on our social media feeds and we see it on the news and we see it online. All these different things hit our attention, but it has always been prevalent in our society. Always. And that's why he came. See, this was new to them. 
This was a new concept following Jesus, but some took it upon themselves and said, hey, we'll give you exactly what you need to do to follow Jesus. And it wasn't what God said, it was what people said. And that's why he says, you have been called unto liberty. Remember, Paul said in Galatians chapter 4, verse 31, So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman or of the past or of the law, but of the free. We've been set free from this kind of life. We've been set free from this behavior. And we hear this in our churches today. It comes in the form of words like standards. They're not up to our standard, Pastor. You've got to follow our standards and maybe even using the word convictions. No, they don't have our convictions. And the flip side of that is people will use the word compromise. Oh, they're just compromising. Uh, they've got a big church. and They must compromise. Now, they must compromise to get all those people. Or maybe we're biblical and people want to be biblical. Maybe there's a difference. Maybe there's something different in our society that says, I want the truth. And there's a place that shares the truth. And people are drawn to that. And the church say, well, pastor, if we just kind of throw all of our things out the window and we say we don't have any standards, we don't have any convictions, then we will lose all control. But remember, it's not our church. The church was never designed to be controlled by us. Never. Remember Colossians chapter 1, verse 17 and 18. And he is before all things. And by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he, and if we haven't figured out by now, this is talking about Jesus, that he might have the preeminence. Exalt the Savior. Exalt the Savior. When we lift him up, we have to push ourselves down. And so in reaction, we lose control. We lose control in a good way because he is the one then in control. He told them of the freedom and and then warned them, hey, but remember, your freedom is not a license to sin. You now uh, can do whatever you want to, but remember, what does Romans chapter 6 say? Romans chapter 6 verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? See, Christian liberty is not supposed to be a license to sin, but rather an opportunity to serve. It's not handcuffs. It's freedom. It's not shackles. It's not chains. It's liberty. And now I have a filter that is in place. It's not just me having to make it up on the fly or me having just to let my flesh run loose. Now there is a filter that allows me to be able to make the right decision and everything that I make, the decisions I make now are affected by him. Let me illustrate that this morning. John, come up here, if you will, please, sir. And uh, John's not going to eat baby food today. I'll go ahead and, and just say that. And, uh, but we are going to get involved here with some water and uh, have a good time this morning. And this will be great. Okay, so uh, John is an average Christian. All right, in the illustration. Okay, uh, in the illustration. All right, so John is an average Christian in the illustration. Now, what he does is he makes decisions. And for, for the first point, there's three different avenues we're going to look at. But for the first one, he's a Christian that says, you know what? I don't care. I don't care. I'm going to live in my flesh. You know, the pastor said, I've got liberty, so I really do whatever I want to. 
The problem is when I make decisions and there's no filter, I'm making decisions and it's just, I'm making decisions. All right? I'm making decisions. There's nothing to stop the decision-making process. I sin. I do things in my flesh. I don't really care. I have no filter. I have no boundaries. I have no guidance. I don't really care. All right? So now John says, I am a Christian, but I'm a moral Christian. I'm somebody who says, now, it is, I know that there are some standards and there are some convictions that I'm supposed to have in my life, and, but I'm a moral person, so I'm going to let my morality define what I do, all right? So, John, you're going to hold out your hands like this, all right? So, now I've got decisions. You might want to lean over just a little bit more, all right? Now I have decisions that I'm going to make, and I'm going to allow my morality to define what I do. Now, here's the thing. The decisions that you make only do so good with morality. I'm going to allow my morality to define what I do. And realize, he can stand there all day long, but this is still going to happen. All right? Because your morality, your decision-making, what's right and what's wrong, is skewed. The decisions that you make, he's still dripping. The decisions that you make are skewed by your own personal worldview. Because we say what we think, but we live what we believe. And John comes to church on Sunday and says, man, I, I love Jesus. Only a holy God. Yes, that's so good. Man, did we have... And then he goes to work on Monday at a secular job, not at his real job. Uh, and lives like the world. And man, he's a pretty good guy and people like him and readily, and readily spend time with him. But he makes decisions based on his morality and there's a problem. He's making all these decisions based on what he believes, on what he thinks, on what he decides. And there's a problem because his morality will only take him so far. His own goodness will only define so much of the decisions that he makes. There will always be overflow. There will always be overflow. No matter what he does, because his own morality will only take him so far. But here's where we need to be, all right? Not living in the flesh, not making decisions in the flesh, not making decisions based on our own morality, but we need to be making decisions based on grace and Christian liberty. Grace and Christian liberty. Because the flesh says, what makes me feel good? Morality says, what can I do? You know, I, I can do some things. You know, I'm, I'm called under liberty. I can do some things that uh, I can be over here one day and I can uh, live for the Lord this week. And uh, This week I can go off with my buddies and we can live like we are, however we want to. And, uh, it's, as long as I don't hurt anybody, as long as I don't kill anybody, as long as my wife doesn't yell at me, as long as my wife doesn't know, as long as the church doesn't find out, it's fine. There's the flesh and then there's morals and then there's grace. Okay? So now, here you go, you hold that. This is grace, all right? Now I'm going to say, all right, Lord, my decision-making, it affects other people. It affects my family. It affects me. It affects my kids. It affects my wife, my relationship with others. It affects all that. So I want to filter that through grace. And I want you to define what I should do, what I shouldn't do. And Lord, if you want me to make decisions, you can pour a little bit of that out. If you want me to make that choice, then you stop. I'll make that choice. 
But I'm not going to just be free-flowing anymore. I'm not just going to live carefree and live to the world. There are going to be some boundaries. There are going to be restrictions. And it's called grace and Christian liberty. Now, John could pour out the entire container and live in the flesh. But now he has a barrier. Now he has boundaries in his life. Now he says, you know what? I'm going to filter that all through grace. And I might be able to make that decision. I might be able to pour it out and live in the flesh. And I might be able to be moral. But now I want Christ to lead my decision making. Now I want him filtering what I do. And now I want him catching what I do. And now I want to say, Lord, how would you have me make that decision? What direction would you have me go? Where should I follow you? What should I do? You realize that there's not near as much overflow. Now there's something guiding me, telling me what I should do, where I should go, how I should do, all of those different things. And I'm allowing His Word, His grace, His liberty. Thank you, John. I'm allowing what He says to define me. I'm allowing what He has said in His Word. Thank you, John. Allowing what He said in His Word to help make my decisions. See, the flesh says, do what I like. Do what I want to do. Uh, morals say, do what you can do. But Christian liberty says, do what he says. Do what he says. And I'm simply going to follow him. But what does he say? He says, talks about the burden. We saw the bond. We saw here, secondly, the barrier. But then we see the burden. What does it say? Only use not liberty for an occasion of flesh, but by love serve one another. Our liberty should lead us to service. Our liberty should lead us to loving service to other people. We see that Jesus came to minister to us. We're to follow his example. And by his example, we're in love to serve one another. But what does that service look like? Look like Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 23 and 24, or 22 through 24. It says, Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of your inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. What can you do to serve others? What can you personally do? To serve other people. Some of us are really good cooks. Some of us are really energetic and outgoing. Some of us are really good with technology. Some of us are really good at teaching. Some of us are really good at uh, being a blessing and being present and having the gift of mercy and sitting with someone and and making sure that they're provided for. All of us can do something. But wouldn't it be awesome if there was a place that we could all go where we could serve one another and we could actually live out this calling of service? If you haven't figured out, it's called the church. The church. The church is the place where we can go. Uh, that's why we handed out these cards six weeks ago. And the first day we did that, we had 50 people that said, hey, I want to serve. Yeah. Count me in. I, I'll serve. We handed these cards out again today. Because even though, man, 50 people filled out this card. That's awesome. We have a church of 350. That means there's some people who, it got tucked in your Bible somewhere, or your wife threw it in the trash on the way out. Uh, we're already doing too much. Uh, you know, all this, Whatever it is, hey, Are you serving? This is a place and an opportunity for you to be involved. 
What are you passionate about? What can you do? How can you serve one another? This is enlisting the servant. This is us getting involved together. See, we take for granted the fact that the church is the primary place in which we learn how to serve. The church is that place. Romans chapter 10 or 12 and verse 10 and 11. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love. In honor, preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. And Paul is talking to a local church. Serving the Lord. Where can you serve? Where does the Lord want you to be involved? How can you serve others? We see the relationship that's mentioned. Then number two, we see the respect that's given. Verse 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one flesh, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. He talks about two things. He talks about the law mentioned. Up to this point, Paul has tried to diminish the present value of the law in contrast to grace. Trying to make sure that there is a distinction between the two. But here he talks about the teaching of the law and the value that it has. The law wasn't useless just because grace had come. The law still pointed them in a direction. It just had to be filtered through grace. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 23 through 26. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith, which should afterwards be revealed, whereunto the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. For after that faith has come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson said, So what is the place of the law in the life of the Christian? Simply this. We are no longer under the law to be condemned by it. We are now in lawed to it because of our betrothal to Christ. He has written the law and love for it in our hearts. See, I love the relationship that I have with my wife. And, you know, I saw her years ago at a Christian camp and uh, it took some convincing, but she finally said yes. And uh, all of that that took place. But as much as I love her, I did not realize that there was someone else behind her. She had parents behind her. I didn't have a relationship with them. I didn't know them, didn't know anything about them. Uh, really just, I was in love with a girl. All right, uh, I just wanted to be the guy with a girl. That, that was me. I, I wanted to have her. But I also realized, and we share now with other couples, that when you get your spouse, you're not just marrying them. There's a whole posse of people that comes along with them. <laughs> Better enjoy those other people because you're going to be connecting the rest of your life. All right? They are in-laws. They're in-laws. And even though I didn't understand, appreciate, even loosely love them because I didn't know them, I loved her. But now that I have her and I have established a relationship with her and I love her, I now have a new love for my in-laws. Because of the love that I have for her, I have a love for the people who are connected to her. And now that you understand grace, and you understand that grace is connected to something else, it should develop a new appreciation and love for the law. We are in lawed to the law. The law pointed us. Man, we're thankful for grace. Aren't you glad for grace? We're thankful for grace. But we should be equally thankful for the law because the law is what points us to grace. 
The law is what showed them their spiritual need. And if you don't recognize that you have a need, why would you need Jesus? Why do you love Jesus? Why do you want Jesus? Because you need to see a need first for Jesus. Knowing that he is, <coughs> excuse me, your hope and your need. Remember, Jesus pointed to the law in Luke chapter 24, verse 27, when he said, In beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. He didn't diminish the law. He came to fulfill the law, providing hope. But not just the law, we see the love. It says, for the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. See, if the law isn't carried out in love, it's legalism. If the law is not carried out in love, it's legalism. There has to be love involved. And there are two kinds of service. There's obligation and there's adoration. Hey, I'm serving because I feel obligated. Or I'm serving because I love. Guys, you can do the dishes out of obligation or adoration. But obligation doesn't earn you anything. It's just fulfilling a function. I can sit and I can grumble and complain. I don't know why I have to do this. I don't like it. I don't want to do it. And I, Did you say something? like, No, dear, I'm just over here talking to the Lord. And, uh, you know. I can serve because I'm trying to please someone, not trying to hurt someone's feelings because I feel guilty or I don't want to let someone down or try to satisfy the expectation of others, but it's all exhausting when I'm doing it out of obligation, when that's my motivation. Remember, Truett Cathy is the one who said, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. When you love what you do, when you love who you serve, you never work a day in your life. It's not drudgery. It's not necessity. Remember, uh, we, we give not sparingly, not grudgingly, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm excited. I get to, not I have to, I get to do this. And love is a very powerful motivator. Love is a very powerful. Say, Pastor, how powerful is it your spouse married you? For some of you, you were loved a whole lot. Some of y'all get that later. Uh, but love compels us to do things that we never would have considered before. Remember Hosea uh, chapter 1 and verse 2 when God spoke to Hosea? The unthinkable request from God. I preached a series years ago, you want me to do what? <laughs> uh, and it was from this verse. Because God spoke to Hosea and said, go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms. And Hosea, yes, Lord. I've got a job for you. Anything for you, Lord. I want you to go marry a prostitute. Say what? God, I think we have a, a bad connection, something. This is what I want you to do. Why? And here's the thing. Hosea obeyed because of his love for God. He loved the Lord. What was God trying to do? He was trying to paint a picture. That even though the people, his people, had walked so far away and cheated on him, Again and again and again, they had prostituted themselves to these other countries, these other false gods. God said, Jose, I still love my people, and I still want a relationship with my people, and I'm going to use you to paint a picture of grace for my people. That's who our God is, church. He loves you and I, even though we all know we don't deserve it. We're not good people. 
We're not righteous people. We're sinners. And our sin separates us from a holy God. And yet he in his love and compassion and grace said, I'm not good with that. And I'm willing to do the unthinkable to buy you back. That's what grace does. That's what love caused him to do. But there may be times in our lives when we have to do things that we may not have ever previously thought about doing. Maybe some things that we don't want to do. Maybe some things that are uncomfortable. Because love is our motivation. What do you do in service to show how much you love him? What is it that you do? How do you serve? Where do you serve to show that you love him? See, we're growing here at Crossroads, and that's awesome. But what happens when this room fills up? How do we navigate that? Would God have us cap that growth and say, oh, no more. Can't come in. Sorry. We're full. That's not his plan. That's not what he desires to do. So how do we continue to grow? Uh, Maybe that's another building. Maybe that's multiple services. Maybe that's different things. But whatever we do, it will be done out of love for him, not out of obligation for him. It will be done out of our love for him, even though it might be something we would have never thought about doing, maybe something we don't want to do or we're uncomfortable doing, but we say yes to him because he loves us and he's worthy of it. Say, Pastor, what does that mean? What does that look like? I have no idea. I'm just telling you, we need to be willing and ready to do whatever it takes because he is worthy of our love. He's worthy of our uncomfortableness because he did so much and does so much for us. Remember Abraham in Genesis 22 too? When God spoke to Abraham and said, Take now thy son, thy only son, whom thou lovest. And get thee in the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I'll tell thee of. Uh, You know, why would Abraham do this? Didn't he love his son? Oh, absolutely. He just loved God more. And when we think about what we do and what he's done for us and how he showed us his love, the things that he asks us to do are trivial compared to what he's already shown us. The things that he asks us to do are so minute in how he has already shown and proven his love for us. We see the relationship, the respect, and lastly this morning we see the rivalry in verse 15. The rivalry. But if you bite and devour one another, it's almost like Paul expected a struggle. It's almost like he expected that this was not going to go well for some people. That this was going to be difficult. And as we talk about serving, our flesh wants to get involved. Our flesh wants to say, well, I'm not going to do that. Why why would I do that? Uh, Pastor can't ask me to do that. I don't need to do that. Our flesh. But how does that happen? Two reasons. Number one, the temptation. He says, but if ye bite and devour, the two words mean wound or destroy. Now, aren't we quick to lash out to other people at times when we're uncomfortable, when we're hurting, when we don't understand completely? We're quick to lash out. Man, I don't, I don't know why they asked me. Why, why, why didn't pastor ask that person? Why didn't they ask someone else? And why don't I ever get to be on the stage? Or why don't I ever get to uh, have my name mentioned? Whatever the reason, we're quick to lash out. But we have to remember that this is not our work and we're not doing it for us. Paul Tripp said, The success of a ministry is always more a picture of who God is than a statement about who the people are that, are, that he is using for his purpose. 
It's a statement about who God is, picture of who God is, than a statement about who the people are that he's using for his purpose. It's all about him. But the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. That's how I'm supposed to serve. Through love, through joy, through peace, long-suffering. All of these different things. And I've got to fight the temptation to serve from my flesh with no filter, with no holds barred, free-flowing, just do whatever pleases me because there's no boundaries. But that's why he said there's no law. Against such, these fruits of the Spirit... Because the law doesn't produce those things. My flesh does not produce love and joy and peace. My flesh produces selfishness and resentment and bitterness and anger and all of those things. That's what the law produces. But grace produces the fruit of the Spirit. And I have to serve. Remember, this is the Lord's doing, Psalm 118, 23. It's not my doing. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. We get to be a part of what he's doing. Don't underestimate that. And don't take it for granted. This is the Lord's doing. We see the temptation that we've got to fight. And then he finishes verse 15 and talks about the termination. The termination. He says, take heed that ye be not consumed. What is the end result of serving in the flesh? Burnout. You're consumed. What is the end result of serving with the wrong spirit? Not seeing people the way that he does. Lashing out at others. Being selfish. Self-motivating. Serving yourself. And there will be always be times when we want to act in the flesh. Always be times when we want to act and serve in the flesh. But here's the truth. It's in your notes. It'll be on the screen. We have to live in our flesh. This stuff. This stuff. We have to live in this stuff. Our flesh. But we don't have to act out of our flesh. We have to live in this stuff called the flesh. As long as you're breathing, you're in the flesh. You have to live with it. But that doesn't mean that you have to act out of it. You don't have to let your flesh define you. You don't have to let your flesh make your decisions for you. You get a choice. That's why the very next verse in our text, Galatians 5.16, says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit. And ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There it is. We will always have a desire to serve me, 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 me. What am I in this for? What's in it for me? What do I get out of it, Pastor? If I serve, if I help someone, what's in it for me? Nothing. Nothing. What we should be asking is, what's in it for him? Not... Because I bring a lot to the table. But what could he do by using me? By me submitting my flesh. By saying, Lord, it's about what you want, not what I want. See, our flesh wants the glory, wants to satisfy self. And if we serve in the flesh, it will not point people to Jesus. We serve in the flesh and this is who it points to. When I serve in the flesh, it points out who I am, not who he is. Why do we enlist the servant? Because by enlisting the servant, it humbles our flesh and it exalts Jesus. That's why we enlist the servant. Why do people get up? Why does John get up and Pastor Tim get up and say, Hey, why why don't we get together and why don't we serve? Why don't we get involved? Why don't you come and be a part of what God is doing? Why do we do that? 
Because in a roundabout way, it's exalting the Savior. It's showing us that He is the primary point of importance, not us. Why do we enlist other people? Not, not just so that we can say, man, look at all the people we have serving. It's not about that. It's so that others, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It's not about people seeing us, church. It's about people seeing Jesus. If I be lifted up, will draw all men unto myself. You know, at the cross that day, there was a lot of people in the crowd. But the man in the middle cross was the one where all the focus was drawn. You don't see names of people in the crowd. You know a couple people who were there. But you don't get other people's names. Why? Because all the attention was on the guy who was lifted up. And that's what our church should be. Not about, did you see who was on the music team? I wasn't paying attention because I was looking at Jesus. Did you see who taught today? Did you see who preached today? I wasn't paying attention because all of my attention was on our holy God. He was on the Ancient of Days. was on the one who the attention should be on. Every time we come. But not just when we're here. When we go outside the walls. Are you in love serving one another? Heads are bowed. Eyes are closed. As we prepare for our time of reflection, our music team is making their way to the stage. We're going to sing in just a moment. And As we have our time of invitation, our personal workers are moving in position. We have personal workers in front here at the altar. We have personal workers in the back. And we do that to give you an opportunity to speak to someone about what God's Word has said, the challenges that we have heard presented. Whether that was in Sunday school hour, whether that's in the main service, whatever. Maybe there's something God is speaking to your heart about personally. And maybe it's something that God wants you to respond to. Whatever it may be, this morning you have an opportunity to do something with what you have heard. God doesn't just give us information so that we can sit on it. He gives us information so that we can respond to it. So the question is this morning, what is your response to God's Word? And whether you're in the room or watching online, what is your response to God's Word today? And maybe that is you don't know Jesus is your Savior. You don't have a time in your life when you've ever acknowledged Him as your Savior and Lord. You don't know that your sins have been forgiven. Maybe that's your testimony. Maybe that's your story. And this morning, I would like to pray for you. I don't want to uh, come and talk to you and uh, embarrass you or put you on the spot. I'm not going to send someone to speak to you. But what I would like to do is be your friend and pray for you. Maybe you're here and you say, Pastor, I don't know that I'm saved. I don't know that Jesus is my Savior. I don't know that I've ever been forgiven of sin. I'm not, I'm not sure. I don't even know what that means. And maybe that's your testimony. Hey, can I pray for you? With no one looking around, that's why we ask folks to bow their head and close their eyes so you won't be embarrassed if that is you. But would you simply be honest with the Lord this morning and honest with yourself and say, Hey, Pastor, that's me. Uh, would you please pray for me? I'm not sure. Maybe you're like I was when I was 17. You thought you were saved, but you really weren't saved because you didn't fully grasp and understand what the gospel means to you. Is that you? Could I pray with you this morning while heads are bowed and eyes are closed, no one looking around? Would you simply slip up your hand and say, hey, pastor, pray for me. Don't call my name. Don't point me out. But please pray for me because I don't know. I'm not convinced like you are. And I have questions about that. Is that you? Would you simply slip up your hand? You can put it right back down. Pastor, pray for me. Please be my friend this morning. Pray for me because I'm not sure. That's me you're talking about. Is that you? I'm looking. I don't want to miss you, but I do want to pray for you this morning. Pastor, please pray for me. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Pastor, hey, I'm not serving others. I'm not serving other people like 
the Bible says, what we talked about this morning. Maybe your life isn't exalting the Savior. Maybe it's not lifting up Jesus, but rather it's lifting up you. Would you simply talk to the Lord this morning about that need? About what He's spoken to you about? Maybe that involves talking to someone this morning, one of our personal workers, either up front or behind you. If you want to slip out and speak to one of them, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. Several people do that. It's it's totally up to you. Maybe you want to make your seat an altar and just sit right there and talk to the Lord. But the importance is responding to what God has spoken to you about. Would you simply acknowledge what He has said and talk to Him? We're going to sing in just a moment. But in this private moment, Right here, without moving forward before we do anything else this morning, would you simply acknowledge that God has spoken to you and ask Him to show you what your next step would be? Whether that's service or whether that's another step altogether, it's baptism or membership or discipleship, whatever that may be. But would you talk to Him this morning about what He's talked to you about? And would you submit yourself to His leadership and His authority in your life? I'm going to be right down front. If you need to talk to me, I'll be right down front. would love to talk to you. Our personal workers would love to take the Bible and encourage you this morning. Answer any question you may have. Pray with you. Whatever you need today, we will be honored to help you take your next step. Father, please bless as only you can. Lord, please do a work in people's hearts. Lord, we know that you came to this earth because of our sin. And Lord, we know that we are sinners. That is our nature. But when Jesus came to die on the cross, he died for our sin. And Lord, he took our place. Lord, thank you so much for the finished work of the cross. Lord, I ask that you please help people to search their hearts and know whether or not your blood has been applied to their life. And Lord, if it's not, help them to call out to you this morning and ask you to forgive them. And Lord, please give that forgiveness when they ask for it. Help them to trust you and you alone for salvation. And Lord, for those who are sitting here and wondering what they do next, well, please speak to them and show them whether that's there in their seat or with a personal worker down front or behind them. Lord, I ask that you please do the work that only you can do. We'll be careful to give you the glory this morning. Thank you for who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.